0: please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the second psalm. God has a very short and pungent message for each of us this morning, and it is very simply that there's a thing here. Let's read about that as we look to God's Word in the second psalm. Hear this now as it is, the very word of God. Why do the nations rage, and the peoples meditate a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against Jehovah and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens will laugh. The Lord will have them in derision. Then will he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will tell of the decree, Jehovah said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the nations for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them the rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. They are wise, O oh, ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve Jehovah with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and ye perish in the way. For his wrath will soon be kindled. Blessed are all they that take refuge in him. Amen. This morning, I'd like to give a very short summary of the Christian message. I'd like simply to take the whole Bible and boil it down into just just a few moments of a synopsis as to what God is telling us in the pages of the Old and New Testaments. Obviously, that'd be a desirable thing to have. It'd be desirable because many of us take this book and we look at it and say, now, I can't read all of this and I can't keep track of everything if I try. So what's the overall plot? What's the story here? What is the uh, thread that connects the beginning to the end in the Bible story? It'd be a very desirable thing if we had a way to put all in a short summary, and obviously it'd be a very useful thing for us as well, so that when someone comes to us and says, well now, you Christians, you believe the Bible, but, but what's the Bible say? What's it all about? It's not going to be helpful at that point to open to Genesis 1.1 and say, well, now sit down, this is going to take a while, and then begin reading, and reading, and reading. No, we need a way to take everything the Bible has presented to us and package it faithfully, accurately, but nevertheless in smaller portions so that people can get used to the message. And hopefully, eventually, we will drive them to study it in detail in its completion. And so it is desirable and useful to give a short summary of the Christian message, and I want to suggest this morning that we can organize this message of Christianity, the story of the Bible, around the theme of Christ the King. Christ the King. There are other ways of doing it. I could talk about Christ the prophet. I could talk about Christ the priest. I could talk about Christ in any number of ways, but this morning we're going to look at Christ the King. This reminds me, you know, kingdoms rise and fall, don't they? I'm something of a student of history. It was not my major in college, but I've always been interested in it. I like to, when I have free time, probably more even than picking up a novel to read, I enjoy picking up works about history, learning about uh, what God has done in the affairs of men, especially the history of the church. And as you read history, you see geopolitical agitation. You can't avoid it. You can't read a history book without finally getting everything focused on how did men organize themselves in societies? Who led these societies? How did the societies relate to one another? We read the long and often sad history of kingdoms rising and falling, geopolitical agitation, the rise of a mighty ruler, then his overthrow, the rise of a world power, and then those who challenge it. You see, this isn't just a contemporary phenomenon. Rumors of wars, leaders and new leaders, leaders who come back into power, mystery, intrigue, betrayal, alliances. Over and over again, the history of the world has been organized around the subject of who is going to rule? How will he rule? How long will he rule? It's just the pattern of world history. Kingdom after kingdom and regime after regime and king after king. And since that's true, if you want a real short summary of the Christian message, it's just this there's a new king here, and his name's Jesus. Throughout all the affairs of men, throughout all the rising and falling of the kingdoms, God has set a king upon his holy throne, a king who will not be put down, who has a kingdom that shall never end. A king to whom all men will ultimately answer, Jesus is the king. Who is it that's going to subdue the nations? Who is it that will ultimately demand the allegiance of all men? Christian message, the story of the Bible is, Jesus is that king. Jesus has come. He has established a kingdom. That kingdom is growing. And ultimately, all men, all women, all children, and indeed all of creation, will have its destiny determined by its relationship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ himself. When we turn to Psalm 2, we see a little synopsis of this message as I've given it to you. We see in Psalm 2 that God has installed his chosen king. In verses 1 to 5 of this psalm, we see the opposition of the nations to God's intended plan for their government. God has intended to give a world ruler who will, have go- who will have the government over all the nations of the world. But we come into this psalm not at the point of God saying this is what he's going to do. We come into the psalm in the midst of the nation saying, forget it. We don't want plan. We know better. We'll be our own little gods. We have our own idea how to run things. Get this chosen king, get this anointed one, get this Christ out of the way. Let's cast uh, their cords away from us and break their bonds asunder, the nations say. And so they plot against God. And in a sense, the whole theme of human history is seen there. The antagonism between the kingdoms of the world and the dominion or the kingdom of God himself. Augustine, the great church father understood that when he wrote his book, The City of God, the city of God in the midst of the cities of men, the heavenly kingdom versus the earthly kingdom. Well, we come into the story, as I said, while the nations are raging against God and saying, we want nothing to do with your plan. And so in verses 6 to 9, God now responds. God, in derision, has laughed at their puny efforts And God's response is, I have established my king. Look at verse six. Set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. God says, Agitate all you will, murmur all you will, rebel and plot against me all that you will. The fact of the matter is, the indisputable fact of history is I have set my king. I have set him upon my hill of Zion. And if I have established his kingdom, no one will undo it. In fact, he goes right into the repeating of that assurance to his own son. I will tell of the decree Jehovah said unto me, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. Ask of me, you need simply ask of me, and I will grant you for your possession the nations, and you will rule them with a rod of iron. And so Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come into this world and has been established as God's chosen king. That's the message. That's it, very simply. We could stop there, and we will have said it all. But we may have said it so quickly, so briefly, so pungently, that there will be people who say, well, but tell me more. What does that mean? What kind of king is he? How does the whole Bible revolve around that theme, and what should we do if he's the king? After all, he doesn't seem to be running for office like Ronald Reagan did. He doesn't seem to be a king like the Queen of England may be. He doesn't seem to rule over any parliament. So what what do you mean he's the king? I want to explain that in our remaining moments here. In the first place, to understand how Jesus is the king, we need to look at the Old Testament because the Old Testament anticipated the coming of a king. In fact, the message of the Old Testament can so easily be summarized as God has promised to send his king. In Genesis 49.10 we read, "...the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be." In Numbers twenty four seventeen, we read, There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So in the earliest books of the Bible, already God's people are looking forward to one who will come as the lawgiver and king. In the days of the prophets, 1 Samuel 2, verse 10, we read, He shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. God will have an anointed, chosen ruler, a Christ and he will exalt him and make him the king. And how will he rule? Psalm 45, verses 3 to 7, says, Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O mighty one, with thy glory and thy majesty, and in thy majesty ride forth with meekness and righteousness. Thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a Thou lovest righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. This anointed king will be God himself, and his arrows will be in the hearts of his enemies, and all the peoples will fall beneath him we say, well, that's the kind of king we want, a victorious king, one who cannot be despised, one who will ride forth victoriously. In Psalm 89, God assures us that he will keep his promise to David. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne for all generations. And I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. I will make him my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness to heaven. God says, anointed one who comes will be a son of David, a very special son of David. One who will be lifted above men, who will have a rule that knows no end who shall everlastingly serve me as the king. And he will beat down all of his foes before him. Indeed, Psalm 110 begins, The Lord has said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make thy enemies the footstool of thy feet. The Lord will send the rod of his strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. The king is coming. The king is going to subdue all his enemies. The king will possess all the nations. And so the Old Testament promised. The prophet Isaiah, looking ahead to the day in which God would send that anointed Savior, you remember, we hear this in our Christmas pageants every year, the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, prince of peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. And so Isaiah lends his voice too to the rising, swelling crescendo. The king is coming. His government will never end. No one will stop him. Jeremiah 23, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called. Jeremiah is just taken back by this. Who will be the king? Yahweh Tzedekah. The Hebrew, Jehovah, our righteousness. Jehovah is coming. The very God is coming, and he will become our righteousness. He will save us. He will rule over us, and we will dwell in safety. Daniel sees one come unto the Ancient of Days upon the clouds of heaven. He says, Behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all people, nations, and governments shall serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. Oh, but the Old Testament says there's a very interesting thing about this one who shall be the worldwide ruler. The one who shall come, Jehovah, God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, this one who will rule over all, he will come in humility. He will come in a way unexpected. He will rule in a way contrary to all the other kingdoms on earth. And so Micah 5 says, but thou Bethlehem. Though you are nothing in the sight of men, of thee shall come forth unto me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from of everlasting. He shall be great unto the ends of the earth. Yes, out of little Bethlehem a king will be born. And Zechariah nine tells us, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, Behold, thy king cometh unto unto thee. He is just and has salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. Zachariah says, Yes, the king is coming, but not upon a mighty steed. Yes, the king is coming, not with sword in hand. Yes, the king is coming, not with political intrigue. He's coming upon an ass, coming lowly. He's coming into your midst as one who is humble sight, one who has no beauty or power that we might be attracted to him, one who will speak peace to the nations. All right, the Old Testament... More than half of the Bible. The Old Testament, you see, is put there to give us the right idea, to set up the story, to tell us the King is coming. The King is coming. God is going to be here and He will save you in a miraculous way. In the New Testament, you see, is the punchline. The Old Testament sets it up and the New Testament says the King is here. And He's Jesus, He's that King. Announced in the Old Testament. Remember at the time of Jesus' birth what the angel said to his mother Mary He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. That's why when the wise men sought him, they came looking for one who was called the Jews. And at the beginning of his public ministry, you remember how one of his followers, Nathanael, came to him and said, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. When Jesus began preaching, Mark tells us that you could summarize his message with these words, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent, repent and believe the gospel. Everything you've been waiting for, all that the Old Testament was about, is fulfilled now. I'm here. The King has come. Repent. Be made right with God. Believe his word. And so in the teaching ministry of Jesus, you'll notice how he focuses on the nature of God's kingdom, the parables of Matthew 13, and a number of other places we see Jesus is always expounding the kingdom of God. In Luke 17, he declares, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And then the time comes for him, finally, to enter into Jerusalem. And the prophecy of Zechariah is quoted in Matthew 21. "Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, but how does Jesus come into Jerusalem? Does he come upon a white horse? Does he come with swords brandished? Does he come to overthrow the Romans? Does he come to put down the Sanhedrin? No, he comes to be crucified. He comes not upon a mighty war horse. He comes upon an ass. He comes lowly and humble, Of course, the people, the crowds sing, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. And yet those same crowds at the end of that week will say when Pilate sets before them this Jesus as the King of the Jews, they say, He is no king, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. And so Jesus is crucified upon the cross. And what are the telling words over the cross? The King of the Jews. What a despicable king. What a miserable failure of a king. He didn't conquer anything. He didn't put down his enemies in any way. He simply lost the battle. Everyone him. Everyone. His closest disciple denied him three times. They all fled from him. And there he was left naked, beat, spit upon, crucified, and dead. Now, what's the Christian message? There's a new king here. You may not have understood the nature of his kingdom. You may not, because of the blindness of your heart, you may not, because of your spiritual pride, be able to understand and accept this. But that is, indeed, the very king, the chosen one of God. He has been established in his reign. You'll notice that Jesus explains the nature of his kingship before the Sanhedrin, He is asked, art thou a king then? And he says, you have said it. I am. A king brought in here, arrested by men, standing trial before us? A king? He said, you have said it. He stands before Pilate. Turn with me to John chapter verses 33 to 37. And you notice how Pilate too is mystified at this claim. He can't understand it. And so he interviews Jesus. Pilate enters the praetorium again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of yourself, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation, and the chief priest delivered thee unto me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, You have said that I am a king. To this end have I been born, and to this end am I come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. The witness of the truth heareth my voice. And of course, Pilate one of the densest men in all of human history, standing before the Son of God, the very truth of God says, and what is truth? Jesus said, of course I'm a king, but you don't know the nature of my kingdom. Pilate, the only reason I haven't fomented a rebellion, the only reason my servants don't come and overthrow the Jews and put you down is because that's not the nature of my kingdom. My kingdom's not like your kingdom, Pilate. My kingdom's not from this world, Pilate. My kingdom doesn't originate from this world, doesn't use this world's methods, and is not interested in the selfish, terrible ends of the kingdoms of this world. My kingdom's from above. My kingdom's from heaven. I've come down from heaven as the very Son of God to rule over the hearts of men. And I rule them not by iron might, not by military control, but I rule men the truth. I came into this world to bear witness, and all those who have heard the truth believe in me. Jesus said something far more frightening, far more significant, far more important than Pilate would ever understand. Jesus said, I've brought a kingdom that's going to undo your kingdom and every other kingdom, because I've brought a kingdom that changes men from inside. And the only way men can be changed from inside is if their sins are taken care of. The reason why there are so many wars among men, the reason why there's not peace on earth, the reason why regime after regime after regime comes and goes in this world, Pilate, is because men don't believe the truth. Because from the heart, they are not right with God. And so I've come to be their king. I've come to be the one who will deliver them in the way they most desperately need deliverance. I've come to lay down my life for them. What kind of king is that? It's the kind of king... Who knows the heart of God and the need of men. And as long as men take up swords, as long as men continue to plan and scheme and try to gain political might, the kingdoms of this world will continue to be agitated. But when the Prince of Peace comes, he says, I'll take care of your deepest need, I'll die for your sins, I'll pay the price for your rebellion. And then I will rise from the dead, showing that not only Pilate, not only the Jews, but death itself is not a great enough enemy to keep me down. I will rise from the dead, and then I will be exalted to the right hand of God, not to rule in Jerusalem, not to rule in Western Europe, not to rule in Iceland or North America, but to rule over all of creation. And from heaven I will then send forth my spirit to change the hearts of men to help them see their need of the Savior, and to draw them into a new kind of kingdom, a kingdom of truth, a kingdom of righteousness and charity, a kingdom of peace. You see, the rest of the New Testament, which we can only summarize in a brief number of words now, is all about the expansion of this kingdom. You read about it from beginning to end. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, All power and authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, In Acts 5, we read that God has exalted him with his right hand to be a prince and a savior. Paul says in 1 Timothy, he is the blessed one and only potentate, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. In Ephesians 1, Paul says God exalted him above everything for the sake of the church. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, and he will rule until all of his enemies have been put under his feet. And in the 19th chapter of Revelation, at the end of the New Testament, we see a vision of Jesus Christ riding forth now victoriously upon a white horse and conquering all opposition. But the crucial point of that vision is that the sword proceeds not from his hand, but from his mouth. Jesus will conquer the nations as the King of truth. And through the word, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, men will come into his kingdom. And the Bible says there will be a final day when a throne will be set and God will set Jesus upon that throne as his chosen king. And he will separate the sheep from the goats and he will be the one to whom all men answer. He will be their final judge for all eternity. What's the Bible about? The Bible's about a king. The Bible declares there's a new king here and you need to serve him. We can conclude by looking at Psalm 2 this morning. How should we respond to the new king? Verse 12, Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. There's really only two things that you can do in response to this king. You can kiss him, submit to him, lovingly and adoringly become his servant and his son, or you can rebel, and he will crush you in the way. The Bible tells us the church holds the keys of his kingdom, so that admission to the kingdom of Jesus Christ is governed by the preaching of the gospel, which you hear in the church of Jesus Christ. And indeed, in Colossians 1, we read that those who have come into the church have been translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Those who stand up and make public profession of faith in Jesus Christ declare to the world, we have a new king. Oh, politics may be there. We may still engage in the voting and in the affairs of this world, but we know that above it all, and more important than it all, Jesus Christ is our king. And so this morning, which will it be for you? The Bible says there's a king here, and he will not brook any opposition. There's a king here. He says, come to me, kiss me, love me. And I'll save you, protect you, and guide you, not only now, but for all eternity. Come unto me, or be a rebel. And if you are in my sight, be shattered like earthenware, for my rod of iron will come down upon you. Do you believe him? Do you believe the gospel? If you do, then the Bible says you must be made right. You must humble yourself. You must become part of his people. You must come into his church. There's a king here. What will you be? A rebel or a son? Let's pray.